I'm Jennifer Delacuadri, and this is the Raising Happy Teens podcast, where you learn how to successfully guide your teenager into adulthood without losing your sanity in the process. Let's do this. Welcome back to the podcast. I have recorded a few episodes on the topic of anxiety, and I find that they get a lot more attention. And it's not surprising to me because I know so many teenagers struggle with anxiety and so many parents don't know how to help their teenager with it. So here's another spin on the top of topic of anxiety, and that is the lesser known signs of anxiety. And when you listen to this, I want you to think about these signs through the lens of your teenager, but also through the lens of yourself. Because what I find is a lot of my clients, the traits that the parents are concerned about are traits that the parents themselves struggle with, and maybe they realize it and maybe they don't. So this may be good information for you just as a human being, but also as a parent. I'll be sharing 10 of the lesser known signs of anxiety. So let's dig in. The first sign is perfectionism. Again, not surprising, but teens who have anxiety have this strong desire to be perfect. And they may engage in repetitive or obsessive behaviors to achieve this. So it can lead to, and inevitably will lead to feelings of inadequacy because no matter what you do, no matter how hard your teen tries, you will never achieve perfectionism And because your teen will fall short of these expectations, they'll be disappointed and let down. I've actually done a whole podcast on perfectionism. So if you haven't listened to that, I recommend you do so. There is a chance that if your teenager has anxiety, they struggle with perfectionism. And I would say most of my clients struggle with this as well. The second one is catastrophizing. And basically what this means is to imagine the worst case scenario in any given situation. And it's a really common tendency, especially with people who have anxiety. It's like your brain is trying to warn you of the possible worst outcome of anything. And this tendency comes from a fear of a loss of control. And it actually ends up perpetuating the cycle of anxiety. People who have anxiety, they think that by controlling everything, they'll feel less anxious. But because nothing really is totally in a person's control, it will just backfire in the long run. And so the cycle will continue. The cycle of worry, the cycle of trying to control everything and then imagining worst case scenario, it just keeps on cycling. And that's where the anxiety gets stuck in a loop. And catastrophizing can also be learned. It can be a learned behavior. So if your teen spends time with other people who do this, they might start doing this as well. A lot of teenagers in just in their brain development spend or the way they analyze things are, is a lot of black and white, not a lot of gray area. And that's like just the literal thinking of the teenage brain. And so when a teenager has anxiety or struggles with anxiety, 
a lot of the time they may say basically good or bad, horrible outcome or great outcome. There's no in the middle. And catastrophizing is kind of part of that worst case scenario outcome. So something to keep an eye out for. The third one is hypersensitivity. People who struggle with anxiety can be more sensitive to their environment and for the, to the people around them. And this could be a good thing because they can be aware of how other people are feeling. They can notice how their behavior or their words are impacting someone else. But it can also be really overwhelming. Sounds like loud noises or strong smells. And all of this sensory input can be really overwhelming. And another thing that can happen is when teenagers or when people are extra sensitive to the feelings and emotions and behaviors of other people, they're, they may mis misinterpret what they're seeing. They may think they know what this behavior or what the action is a result of and take it on as like a personal failure on their part, but something else may completely may be going on. So for example, if they have a friend who is in a bad mood and makes a grumpy face when walking by your teen and your teen makes it mean that your, their friend is mad at them for some reason, that's where the hypersensitivity comes in. So it can be sensory. It can also be relational, just being really sensitive to the environment. And that gets really overwhelming. And I know I've talked about this on the episode or on a previous episode is that that's why some teens or some people just really need to decompress after being at school all day because the sensory input is just overwhelming. Which, you know, the, the topic of misreading somebody's actions and behaviors, it leads to my next one, number four, and that is overthinking. <laughs> overthinking. And not just any overthinking, specifically ruminating on those negative thoughts. It's a lot like catastrophizing, but really imagining the worst case scenario and just worrying about it incessantly. Overthinking is also kind of tied in with perfectionism. So people who are perfectionists, they spend a lot of time overthinking past failures, past actions, and potential future problems. So I know some of my clients, when they get in this loop of, I can't make a decision, I can't make a decision, it's because they are trying to weigh out the potential outcomes of every single scenario and predict which one may be the ideal one, but there's just no ideal one. Some things are just, again, it goes back to that control, that need to control. Some things just cannot be predicted. And so they just get stuck, not being able to make a decision and just thinking and thinking and thinking. And that is a real true sign of anxiety. And this perfectionism and overthinking together, it actually leads to sign number five, which is indecisiveness. So making decisions, even about little things, can just be really crippling. And worrying about making the wrong choice, like I mentioned before, spending time just weighing options. And here's another sign too, is just seeking reassurance from others, asking around, what do you think? What do you think I should do? What do you think is the right thing? 
because they think that by asking other people, it will help them figure out what they're going to decide, but it just becomes too overwhelming because inevitably what happens is they'll get varying opinions and it will make it even more confusing. So indecisiveness, if your teenager is indecisive, that could be a sign and underlying of underlying anxiety. And I mentioned reassurance. That's actually a real true sign of anxiety. It's excessive reassurance seeking. That's number six. Like they received reassurance already, but they still need more. So saying things like, are you sure? Or is it okay? But really what ends up happening is it leads them to feel more and more anxious because the more they seek reassurance and the more they receive, they'll eventually only need more of that in the future. And if they don't get it, their anxiety will just spiral. When my daughter was in treatment for OCD, one of the things that they really worked on with her was minimizing the amount of assurance seeking that she would do because part of anxiety and tied in with OCD is the need to reassure. And the more there is reassurance, the more is needed in the long run. So you think as a parent, you're like, well, I want to make sure my teen feels good and I want them to feel safe. So when they ask for reassurance, of course, I'm going to say, yeah, totally. You're fine. It's safe. It's good. But sometimes that can just perpetuate and worsen the anxiety. It's really hard to know, but that reassurance seeking behavior is really a true sign of the anxiety that's underlying there. And another behavior that you might see is constant checking. I know that, and I was speaking of OCD, OCD and anxiety can go hand in hand, but if your teenager has anxiety, that doesn't mean they have OCD. And checking, a lot of people will associate it with OCD behaviors, like checking to make sure the door is locked and checking to make sure the oven is off, things like that. But in your teenager, this may look something like, constantly checking their phone and making sure that they haven't missed a notification or a text. I know a lot of the teens that I work with, we work on trying to minimize the amount of behaviors that they do that involve checking, setting their phone aside, turning off notifications and things like that. So really the problem with this in addition to adding to the overall level of anxiety, the problem with this is that it can end up taking a lot of time and be a huge distraction. Because if your teenager is, say, in a conversation and they're constantly checking their phone, the other person is probably going to think that they're not listening, which maybe they aren't. And so that's just something to keep an eye out for. And the next one is over-apologizing. Somebody who says, says I'm sorry for something that's really minor or isn't really worth apologizing for, it's coming from a place of, will they like me? Do they like me? I want to fit in. Um, being included, people-pleasing, really. So if your teenager apologizes for nothing and is constantly saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, that could be a sign of anxiety. And really the truth is a lot of anxiety comes from social interactions, which is why so many teens 
who have anxiety will avoid these interactions altogether. And that leads me to my next sign, which is avoidance. So avoiding situations that could trigger their anxiety, like parties or speaking in public or even speaking in a group at school. The more they avoid it, the scarier it gets though. And that can be a real problem because then they create this giant monster in their brain of what it's like to be around other people or what other people may be thinking about them. And it just makes it more anxiety provoking. And the truth is they end up missing a lot of important and fun things because they're avoiding. And the, the constant avoidance can actually lead to number 10, which is self-isolation. They may withdraw from any social situation and just feel like they are better off alone. And it may manage the anxiety a little bit because they're not in those situations, but it can also really lead to feelings of loneliness. So what I work on with my clients, one of the things that we do is if they're finding that they want to avoid social interactions, we find a middle ground. So when they think of a social interaction or something around other people that feels really scary to them, finding something that's a little bit uncomfortable, but not so scary instead of avoiding, because the more they avoid, the more they're going to avoid the more anxiety it will cause going out because their brain is just truly going to believe that there really is danger out there, that there really is something to be anxious about. Because if the action is feeding into that anxiety, then they'll, their brain will believe it. It's like this subconscious belief. Your brain is telling you that you need to avoid this danger situation when it really isn't a dangerous situation. But when you avoid it, it's like, see, I told you, it was dangerous. It's a good thing you avoided it. But if you are able to encourage your teen to challenge how dangerous a situation really is, and it all just comes down to an uncomfortable feeling, truthfully, a lot of these social interactions may feel scary, but they're not inherently dangerous for the most part. So those are the 10 anxiety symptoms. And one thing I wanted to add to is that these, a lot of them are behavior signs of anxiety, but there can also be physical symptoms, things like headaches, stomach problems, tight muscles, muscle, muscle tension. All of these things can really be distressing and it could lead your teen to seek medical attention, even though it's not really caused by something physical, it's a mental thing. It's an emotional thing and it's being caused by anxiety. So that's something to look out for as well. And if you heard this list and you recognize that your teenager may be missing out on life because they are struggling with anxiety or the anxiety is taking over a little too much, I can definitely help with that check the show notes. There's a link to schedule a consultation with me. And what we do on this call is we just talk about your teenager. We talk about what's going on with them and you can share me, share with me the concerns that you're seeing. And I will tell you exactly step-by-step step how I will help them break through these challenges that they're having and also share with you how I'll support you along the way, because it really is a group effort. And the idea is to really lift your teen up so they can feel more confident and enjoy their life. So check the show notes for that. I look forward to hearing from you. And thanks for tuning in. 
I'll see you next time. If you liked this episode, I want to invite you to follow me on Instagram at jennifer.delacuadri, where you'll find more tips, inspiration, and connection to help you navigate this unique and sometimes challenging season of parenthood. I'll see you there.